0: The name of the message is I can see clearly now the death is gone. <laughs> and yes, I took that from that song, right? And so if you want to go listen to that song, I don't I don't know the person who sings it, but I love that song. Um it's uh I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way, right? That kind of a thing. Um we'll just pray. Thank you, Father, uh that um you you came and healed our blindness. Thank you for restoring our sight. Thank you for um, conquering the death that uh, surrounded us with darkness and and made it impossible for us to see that you were with us and to see your love for us. Thank you, Father, that through the the declaration of this truth, that through this message, uh, people's sight will be healed. People's eyes will be healed. The eyes of their understanding will be healed. Well, just thank you, Father, that uh, and the Spirit is moving in people's hearts so that as they walk in this world, they have eyes to see that you're always there with them. And you're always there with them condemning the death in this world that tries to come against their life. Thank you, Father, that uh, you're leading the church into a place where we're more aware and fixated on your life, the life that you brought forth in Jesus when you brought him out of the grave instead of the deadness we see in the world around us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. L- last week's message and this week's message are, are Christ- what I would call Christianity 101. And they're, they're foundational to being able to understand the gospel and to understand what it's all about. And even just understanding the things we talked about last week and this week would save us from a lot of pain and suffering. Um, with what I would call the doctrines of man and what the scriptures would call the doctrines of man. And, and I think what, when I look back on my own Christian life and when I look out into the Christian world, I think that we're, we, we're all experts in the traditions of man. We're all experts in the doctrines of man because we've all been taught doctrines that, Uh, were created by human beings, not understanding the gospel, but desiring to understand. And so then they come up with doctrines to try to explain to themselves things they don't understand. And we became experts at all those kinds of things. And um, the only thing we needed to be experts in was uh, what the apostles taught about Jesus and what God did through Jesus to conquer death in the flesh. Really, the thing we needed to be experts about, we were never really taught. But we were taught lots of different things like predestination, right? And the way we were taught predestination wasn't right. It isn't consistent with what was taught in the scriptures. We become experts in doctrines like predestination where we were taught doctrines that say God specifically created some people to burn in hell and God created other people to go to heaven. And we became experts in doctrines such as that. We built our doctrine upon people like Calvin and Augustine instead of people like Paul, Peter, John, the apostles. Imagine that, right? And and so if you're thinking you want some lengthy explanation about predestination, listen, I'll give you a very brief explanation of all that predestination encompasses in it. And you could find it in the first three chapters of Genesis. And I like to tell people this all the time. If you can't find your gospel, in the first three chapters of genesis then your gospel is wrong and maybe not all of it maybe some of it is right but some of it is crooked right and and so you can define predestination just by looking in the first three chapters of genesis and this is what predestination is in a nutshell right god desires to create man in his image after his likeness He's predestined that man would be in his image after his likeness and he predestined that it would be by the power of his Christ and not the strength in man's hands. That's what he predestined. And the reason he predestined that is because he wanted us to be able to stand face to face with him and feel the love that he has in his heart instead of standing face to face with him and feeling condemnation or death or any of those things. And so you could also go forward to look at Jesus. He is the word made flesh. Jesus is the word made flesh about predestination. And so what's predestination? God, when he thought of making man, What he had in his heart was that man could be clothed in his immortality and that man could dwell in a body that could never die or taste weakness and that man could live in human flesh along with him in an earth where there's no death for all eternity. That's what God predestined. That what was in his heart, right? He elected that it would be by his strength that man could be clothed with life and not by the strength in man's own hands. That's predestination. Right. If you wanted to talk about predestination, just the brief times that it's mentioned, that's what you would talk about instead of the doctrines that we have built. Right. Where we say God specifically created some people to torture them for all eternity. Right. And then we say things like he did that for his glory. <laughs> and then we never think about what does that cause the human heart to think. Right. And then we run with it and teach it and we don't teach the gospel. We teach that and we call it the gospel, and we wonder why people are struggling. We wonder why people are struggling. Listen, what I found in the church is most people desire to walk with God. They want to. You ain't got to convince them that they should. You ain't got to convince them that that's the right thing to do. Most people just want to walk with God. Most people want the fruit. I don't even say most people. All people want to experience the fruit of God's life. All people agree the fruit of God's life is good. And so if they're not experiencing the fruit of God's life, it's not because they're evil, bad people like we like to think of it. It's because they haven't heard the gospel and they haven't believed the testimony God's given in Jesus. Which testimony is that God has not abandoned you in the earth in the midst of this death to try to serve yourself with life, but that he has drawn near to you even should you make your bed in death to serve you with his life. He's with you right now, preparing a table in your midst so that he could feed you with life. And if people could start hearing about the work God has done, they'll find themselves full of the bread of life and they'll find what comes out of them is the bread of life. Right. And so, man, the the point of these these last two weeks, one of them is that we could have a a proper foundation of, of what we're we're teaching and why we're teaching it and what we should be preaching when we're trying to teach people about god and if we desire to see life come forth i mean we desire to see life come forth everyone desires that the question is how is that going to happen how is that going to happen i promise you it's not by teaching a message that says god created some people so we could torture them forever that's not how we're going to see it happen that's not going to bring forth the life of god and so last week I encourage everybody to go listen to last week and and last week's bible study but last week we we talked about uh the carnal mind and what happened to mankind through adam that's that's what we we, we talked about um last week and and the way i would say it is by by one man adam death entered the world right and, and what that means is is by one man adam's disobedience sin found an opportunity to manifest death in our bodies, right? And now our bodies were dying. We were perishing. We were a people that were never created to see death. We were a people that were never created to die. And we found ourselves in the place where we were dying. Paul would describe that in the scriptures as death was reigning over us. So if you want to know what happened to mankind in Adam, if you look back in Genesis, when Adam disobeyed and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree manifested death in him, in his body. And then that death uh, brought forth a certain way of thinking in Adam. And Adam began trying to clothe himself with life because he couldn't comprehend that God was there with him to clothe upon him with the life of his lamb. And so when we talk about what did we inherit from Adam? Guess what the scriptures never say that we inherit it from Adam? A sin nature. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that anywhere. But we're experts on the sin nature, aren't we? We're so experts on the sin nature, we even look at our little children and talk about how they got a sin nature. And we even find ways to describe our children as if they're inherently evil. Little babies in the sandbox. Not understanding What would cause one child to want what the other child has? I promise you it isn't a sin nature because you don't see that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they had a sin nature. Because God don't have a sin nature. And if he made Adam and Eve in his image, that means they didn't have a sin nature. Well, what caused them to eat from the tree then to begin with? It wasn't a sin nature. It was that they heard a word that told them about they lacked something that was needed for life and godlikeness. And they heard a word that the father lacked as the one that would give it to them. So if you want to know why a little child could want to take something from another little child in a sandbox, it's not because humans are inherently evil. It's because that little child can be confronted with the idea that they lack something they need for life. And they are living or looking at this other child that has something, and they think they need that to have life. And so then they want it. Real simple, right? It's a real simple explanation. That's how it goes down. But we become experts on the sin nature, right? And so by, by one man, Adam, what we inherited it from Adam. If you look in Genesis, it says that after Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death found, sin found an opportunity to produce death in him, if you notice, God marks off the tree of life with cherubim's. He guards the tree of life, and he says, we're not going to allow Adam to eat from the tree of life now. Adam means mankind. And the reason why he says he's going to do that is because he doesn't want man to live eternally joined with death. Because if man is joined to death eternally, then they'll never be able to be free to be married to him. And so he's not going to bless mankind's union to death. And so in Adam, human beings lost access to the tree of life. That's what we lost in Adam. But by the righteousness of one man, Jesus, by Jesus coming as the last Adam and him taking on the fullness of death into his body and in him resting in the father to raise him from the dead instead of him coming down off the cross to save himself. What happened is, is that Jesus ended mankind's union to death and he said it is finished and when he said it is finished, the veil was rent from top to bottom and you know what was etched on that veil the two cherubims that were guarding the tree of life. Imagine that. And so in Adam, we lost access to the tree of life. That's what we inherited from Adam. Death was reigning over us. Well, in the man Jesus, what happened is, is our access to the tree of life has been restored every single human being has free access to the tree of life the gates are open there's no veil anymore keeping people from coming into the holiest place and the thing that will strengthen us to come into the holiest place is the faith that came in the person of jesus because you know what that faith will tell us god has prepared a place for you in his house God has prepared a place for you to dwell with him in his house for all eternity. How do you know? Because there's a human being seated in there now. You see Jesus in there. He's the son of man. As Stephen said, I see the son of man. And so, man, everyone has free access to the tree of life and God doesn't even just leave us alone for us to try to strengthen ourselves to come. What he does is he takes a human who represents us and he seats that human at his right hand to try to tell humans, listen, this is what's waiting for you when you get here. Because I promise you, if you think what's waiting for you, if you think the gift God has to give you when you get in his presence is the thing that manifested in Jesus when he came out of the grave and sat down at the right hand of God, clothed in the Lord's glory, if you think that's what's waiting for you, you're coming to him. (laughs) Right? And so, man, by one man, Adam, we lost access to the tree of life. But by the last Adam, Jesus, all people's access has been restored. Hallelujah. Right. And so that's that's what we inherited from Adam. Sin found an opportunity to manifest death in our flesh that gave birth to the carnal mind, which is what we talked about last week. And I'm not going to spend a bunch of time explaining the carnal mind again. The that death, the deadness that we saw in ourselves and all around us, it darkened our understanding about God. It made the eye of our understanding sick is what it did. You know, all you guys, I don't know about this dear brother here, but all of us are from Louisiana. Are you from Louisiana also? Well, glory to God, then this will make sense to you. But in Louisiana, we can deal with some thick fogness, right? Like we have some bad fog in Louisiana. There's there's times where I've driven over that twin span where I you couldn't even see five feet in front of you because the, thaw, the fog is so thick. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to see that chair. I mean, there's cars with lights on it and you couldn't even see the cars five feet in front of you, right? The, the, because the, the, the fog is so thick. And so the death that entered the world through Adam, it was as a thick fog of darkness to us that we couldn't see anything around us. We were blind. We were blind to God. Right. We became blinded to the truth that God was with us to clothe upon our body of death with the life of his lamb. And if you look back in Genesis, Adam didn't see God was there with him. Adam didn't know the words of the psalmist. I think it's Psalm 139, but the psalmist comes and says, Even should I make my bed in the grave, you are with me, O Lord. Well, Adam, because of the death that entered, it was like the fog we see on the twin span. Death became a thick fog of darkness all around Adam. He couldn't see five feet in front of him. He, his eyes, The eye of his understanding became sick, and he couldn't see that God was there with him and that God's heart was only filled with goodness towards him. He couldn't see it. Now, that left us standing in the condemnation of death. That's where it left us standing. And I just want to tell you guys, it's death that condemns mankind and works condemnation in mankind. It's not God that was ever condemning mankind. We see that clearly revealed in Jesus in the account of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus was God standing there. He was the word made flesh. He's the father tabernacling with man. He didn't condemn the woman caught in the act of adultery. It wasn't God standing there condemning her, was it? And so because of the the blindness that we had, man, we stood in the condemnation that death serves us with. Death told us God isn't there with you. Death told us God has abhorred you because of your sin. Death told us that God's face was hid from us. Death told us that God wouldn't hear us when we cried out to him. That's why Adam didn't cry out to God. Adam could have cried out to God. Adam could have said, Father, Eve has ate from the tree. She's dying. And the father could have said, do you love her? Yes, daddy. If you enter into her death with her, I will raise you from the dead. <laughs> and she will be raised from the dead. And I say it that way to give you a picture of the father and the son talking. Because you can see the son telling the father, Our Eve." has eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's us. Our Eve is dying. Do, you, do we love her? Yes. Let us enter into her death and her darkness so that we could conquer the death that has come upon our Eve and we could raise her from the dead. <laughs> uh, and so, man, we, we couldn't see that God was with us to clothe upon us with the life of his lamb. And... Uh, is it just me or is it hot in here? Oh, you guys pardon me once. I got it, Dad. Now, what we've learned about this this air conditioning system is that you will not find a, a state of comfort. In the same way that you start to feel sweat and hot, you're about to freeze out um so for, forgive me um for that so that that left us standing in the condemnation of death where we were all the time sowing the strength in our own hands trying to decorate our body of death with the fruit of god's life right we were putting our own strength to work when paul talks in galatians about sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit sowing to the flesh means that you sit with a desire for life but then you take the strength in your own hand and you put it to work to try to decorate yourself with life. That's part of standing in the condemnation of death. Death will take you captive to a life of trying to clothe yourself, right? That's part of what it means to stand in the condemnation of death. And so we where we were in Adam is we were trying to know God through the strength of the flesh. And when I talk about knowing God, I don't just... I'm not just talking about having a knowledge that God exists. When I talk about knowing God, I'm talking about being intimate with his life. I'm talking about being intimate with the peace and the love and the joy of God. And so where we were at is we were trying to know the peace and the love and the joy of God through being strong according to the flesh wise according to the flesh, noble according to the flesh, right? The world comes and tells you the power unto having peace and love and joy is having strength, the strong, the wise, right? You're gonna be wise according to the world, noble according to the world. The world comes and teach us that's the power to experiencing the fruit of the spirit. And so that's where we were. We were in the midst of death. We were blinded. To the goodness of God we were thinking that uh, God abhorred us in our affliction right we saw our affliction and we even blame God right you could see that in Jesus when Jesus was crucified on the cross Isaiah 53 says that we esteem that Jesus was smitten and stricken by God it says that Jesus was smitten and stricken by us That's why it says he carried our griefs and our sorrows. I don't know if you guys realize it, but it was the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the tree. Are we going to suppose that they were filled with the Spirit of God? So Jesus wasn't smitten and stricken by God. But because of the carnal mind, when we saw Jesus crucified, we concluded that this must be by the hand of God. Because that's what the carnal mind concludes. So we were in the midst of death, blinded to the goodness of God, Thinking that this death meant that God abhorred us in our affliction. We saw this death as a sign that God's face was hid from us. We saw the deadness we saw all around us as a sign that God wouldn't hear us when we cried out to him. That's what we saw it as. We saw it as a sign. I mean, we saw Jesus nailed to the tree and they thought it was a sign that he wasn't the son of God. Why did they think that? I mean, they saw the death that came upon Jesus at the cross, and they said, surely this is a sign that the Father isn't with him. Surely this is a sign the Father abhors him. Surely this is a sign the Father won't hear him. And in the place of us concluding that God wasn't there with him, Jesus acknowledges God. And he doesn't just say God. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my life. Right? And so we were in that place where we thought God, the death that we saw all around us, was a sign. God abhorred us. And lo and behold, when we were in that place, the scripture says a great light shined in the midst of our darkness. And so what was the great light that shined in the midst of the darkness? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. You notice how Isaiah there equates the darkness to death? It says the people that were dwelling in the darkness. And then it says the the, the, the valley that was shadowed with death. The darkness in the land was from the death that entered the world by Adam. But Isaiah says something magnificent. He says those that dwelled in the land that was filled with darkness because of death, a great light has shined in the midst of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says it this way. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul says God hath called forth eternal life in the midst of the earth so that he could reveal to humans that he isn't far from them, that he hasn't abhorred them, that his face isn't hid from them, but he hears them when they cry. And Paul says that God reveals us to this to us by revealing himself inside of the face of Jesus Christ. And this fits with what Jesus himself prays in John 17 when he says, Father, glorify me that it might glorify you. Jesus didn't have his own sin and his his own death. Does everybody understand that? Well, whose sin and whose death did he have? Ours. And make it more personal than ours. Yours. Mine. Right? And one of the reasons it goes down that way is so that God can discern our lives for us. And he uses Jesus to discern our lives for us. one of the reasons Jesus has our sin and our death is so we could see ourselves in his face. And we could see him nailed to the cross. Well, whose sin was nailing him to the cross? Ours. Whose death was he carrying? Ours. You're supposed to identify with him. You're supposed to become intertwined with him, so much so that you say, there I am on the cross. Well, you know what God comes and does in that place when you get to that place? He comes and reveals the goodness in his heart towards you when you think he ain't there. Because you look at Jesus and you say, God's abandoned him. God's abhorred him. God doesn't hear him. That's what we concluded about ourselves and God because of the death we saw. Well, then God comes and blows that up and reveals the goodness in his heart towards human, even when he finds them dead in sin. When he comes and raises Jesus out of the grave, free from death, never to die again. And he reveals to all of humanity what's in his heart to do with their lives, even when they're dead in sin. The light of the glory of God has shined into our hearts through the face of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. John chapter 1 verse 4 says it this way. In Jesus was life, And the life was the light of men. The life was the light of mankind. Well, What does that mean? Brothers and sisters, I keep saying this, but we're all experts at reading the scriptures. We're all experts at thinking the scriptures are good. We're all experts at at wanting to, 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 to believe on God. But then we don't ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does it mean that in Jesus was life? What does it mean that that life that manifested in him was a light to all of us? What does it mean that Isaiah said a great light has shined in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the people that were dwelling in a land that was full of the darkness of death? And I'm going to tell you a bunch of things, but man, walk out of here and tell God that you want to know what it means that in Jesus was life and that life is a light to you. What does it mean, Lord? Because Lord, I don't know. I read Isaiah and I see that I'm a person that's dwelling in a land shadowed with death. Is anybody confused that this land shadowed with death? I think if any of us thought it wasn't, we become very acquainted with the fact that it is over the last two years. And so what, what God is true, it, make it personal, man. The life that manifested in Jesus is a light unto you. And it's a light unto you right now and forevermore, right? And so, man, let, let that prayer be in your heart when you walk out of here. Tell the Father you desire to know what that means. You desire to know how that helps you today. You desire to know how that sets you free from the things you see in the world today. Just commit it into God's hands. So John 1.4 says. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light. Of men. So. Back to Isaiah. A great light. Shined. In the midst of the people. That were walking in the valley shadowed by death. A great light. And the great light that shined is the life of God that manifested in the man Jesus. The life that manifested in Jesus, having overcome the death that was upon him on the cross, having raised him up in an incorruptible flesh, an incorruptible human body that could never taste death or weakness again, that life that overcame death in the flesh of Jesus, that manifested in Jesus, and even built him a body that could never die, that life is the light that shined to us. And it means something that this life manifested in the man Jesus. It means something to all of us. I mean, death was overcome in his flesh. I don't know if you guys realize that we all have flesh. Jesus is the son of man. We are also the sons of men. And so the fact that this life manifested in Jesus, it means something. It means something. And you know what it means? It means that the life that manifested in this son of man, Jesus, that had the fullness of sin and death upon him at the cross. It means that that life came from the father of lights in heaven. If this man, Jesus, if he's now possessing the life of the father in heaven. It means something. And what it means is that God isn't far from us. It means God is with us, and He isn't just with us to be indifferent to our plight. If this life, if the life of God manifested in the flesh of this man Jesus, what it means is that God is with us, condemning the death that is working to condemn us. It means that God is with us, warring against the death that is warring against our souls. That's what it means. That's what it talks about. The Apostle Paul. He says in the first letter to Timothy, he says that God is the only one possessing immortality in and of himself. He says it this way when you read it in the King James, God, the only immortal. The only one possessing immortality in and of himself. You can kind of see these words with Jesus. Remember when Jesus says the father has life in himself? And the father has given that I could also have that life in myself. He's talking about the life of God. And so we were, though we were blinded by the darkness of of the death that's in the earth, we can see clearly God. Now we can see God clearly now because we could see that God manifested his life in this man, Jesus Christ. And if God manifested his life in this man, Jesus Christ, he's the only immortal. And the only way this life could come alive inside of the son of man, Jesus, is if God was with mankind. And the only the thing that it means is that God came and condemned the death that came upon Jesus. He condemned the death that manifested in the body of Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead, never to be able to die again. And that's what Paul comes and says in Romans chapter 8. He says that God did what the law couldn't do. He condemned death in the flesh. Now, how did he condemn death in the flesh? He eradicated death from the body of Jesus when he raised him from the grave and glorified immortal flesh. And so Paul comes and says, listen, man, if God was with this man, Jesus, who didn't have his own sin in his own death, remember, he had your sin in your death. And so if God came and manifested his life inside of this guy that had your sin and your death, what it means is that God was with him. And if God was with him, it means God is with you. And what it means is that God isn't just with you telling you you need to act right. What it means is that God is with you as your advocate. And what God is with you to do is to condemn the death that's in this world, to keep your heart from the fear that comes from death. God is with you to war against the death that's warring against you. How do you know? Because you see God was with the son of man, Jesus, condemning the death that manifested in him. God was with the son of man, Jesus, warring against the death that was warring against him on the cross a great light has shined in our midst though we were blinded by the darkness of death not seeing that god was with us to be good to us we now see clearly through the man jesus being raised from the dead that god is with us even near us and the reason he's with us is because he's for us and he's working for us to condemn the death that is bringing forth its fruit in us hallelujah I should have been a rapper. No, I got a, a a good friend that's a much better rapper than me. And man, he he's his his man. The lyrics are just the the gospel, and man, he can spit them out so quickly and so rhythmically that when I listen to it, I just get happy. But but First John talks about it this way. Everybody know when John says that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have held, which we have touched of the word of life. You know, he's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And so first John speaking about the life that manifested in the body of Jesus's resurrection. Do you know what he 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 says he feels when he sees that what manner of love the father has bestowed upon all of us. That we should be called the sons of God. That's his interpretation of seeing God's immortality manifesting in the flesh of this man, Jesus. It can only mean that the Father loves us. And so what John says when he sees that God manifested his life inside of the flesh of this man, Jesus, if God manifested the glory of his immortality inside the body of this man, Jesus, listen, man, it means one thing. We're not orphans. We haven't been left alone in the earth to serve ourselves with life. We haven't been left in the earth to try to prepare a table of life for ourselves. We're not even left in the earth preparing a table for God. I mean, you think that we're supposed to serve God. Listen, man, what John comes and says is he sees that God is there with him to serve him with life. Because I promise you, you can talk to my dad if you hadn't figured this out already. The father serves their children with much more than the children will ever serve their father with. And so John's like, dude, listen, guys, I don't know if you realize it, but that guy has the life of God in him. And that guy looked like the most cursed, the most dead sinner there could ever be. In fact, he kind of looked like the guy in the parable of the rich man and the Lazarus or the account of the rich man and Lazarus that even had dogs licking his sores. That's how cursed this guy looked. Listen, that guy has the life of God now. And do you know what it means? We were all the time living like we were orphans, thinking God had abandoned us because of our sin. But what we see now is that we're never orphans, that God never abandoned us, that God is our Father, and He's with us to serve us with His life because that's what fathers do. They lay down their lives for their children. And mothers, you can identify with the fathers too. Mothers, women are in the image of God. Women, you've laid down your life for your kids, haven't you? Has it stopped? Has it ceased? If some of you I know got adult children, some of you are still being nailed to the tree by your adult children. (laughs) And yet here you are serving them. That's a sign and a wonder. And if that's how you are with your kids, how much more the father of lights in heaven? And that's what John's describing. That's the great light that shined in the midst of our darkness. Death told us we were orphans, right? The serpent pointed at our body of death, and he showed us a picture of the darkness in ourselves, and then he showed us a picture of God. Well, there's no darkness in God. There's only light. And so when we looked at ourselves and saw death and darkness, and then we looked at God, there's only light in God. We didn't think we looked like God. The death in the world blinded us to the fact that he was our father. And we began living like orphans, trying to take care of our own life. Do you know what an orphan knows? That no one's going to take care of them. They've got to take care of themselves. And what do you see an orphan doing to try to take care of themselves? Stealing, killing, and destroying. Because they've got to protect their own life. Because they're all alone in the cold, heartless little world, and they don't have anyone that will care for them. That's where mankind was. We were dwelling in the places if we were all alone in the cold, heartless little world with no one who loves us, no one to care for us. And the reason we thought that was because of the death that was here. Well, John's like, now a great light has shined in the midst of our darkness. God, the father of lights the only one with immortality he brought forth his life in the son of man jesus that means we're not orphans that means there's someone out there claiming us as their own that means there's someone who sees themselves in our face that even when we didn't see ourselves in god's face he saw himself in our face he never confused who we were because of the death that had come upon us and god we know god's with us to father his life in us hallelujah That's what John's talking about. (laughs) Well, you know, we can't preach about the carnal mind without uh, talking about the mind of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Well, last week we talked about the carnal mind. And we just talked a little bit about what the carnal mind was doing to us. And last week we talked about the, the car, what produced the carnal mind. Where did it come from? And so, just as death gave birth to the carnal mind in the earth, the life of God that manifested in the body of Jesus' resurrection, having overcome death in the flesh, that gave birth to the mind of Christ. That gave birth to the mind of Christ in the earth. That's the light that shined in the earth. The mind of Christ now shined in the earth. Just like death brought forth the carnal mind, and the carnal mind was in the earth, the life that manifested in Jesus, it brought forth the mind of Christ in the earth. And now there was a different place to reason from about God, And what was in God's heart for mankind, even should he find them dead in their sin? Because we were all the time reasoning from the death that was in the world. Well, now all of a sudden the life of God manifested in the world. And we could begin to judge God's heart for us by the life that manifested in Jesus instead of the death that manifested in Adam. And now there's a different mind, the mind of Christ. And we have that mind now. And the gospel is actually the declaration of the mind of Christ. And it takes an ax to the root of the carnal mind. And so the mind of Christ is a mind that's born from the life that manifested in Jesus. It produces certain thoughts and conclusions about God and the love in his heart for humans. That's what it is. It's a mind that reasons from the life that manifested in Christ. Just like you so beautifully said in the Bible study. It reasons from life. And what I want to say is, is that what happens when you see the life of God that manifested in Jesus, and it plops open your eyes to the goodness in God's heart towards you, and you begin to have eyes to see God like real close to you, so close that you can't even see a difference, and you begin to see that he's there upholding your life by the power of his indestructible life. And you begin to see that he's with you to condemn the death that's in the world and to take vengeance on the death that tries to come against you. What happens is, is you start to be led by an indestructible life. Your heart starts to be filled with the thoughts and the thinking and the vision that comes from possessing an indestructible life. And you, your, your steps become ordered by the Lord. You know, we read the, 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 the scripture to have your steps ordered by the Lord. And we think that means God comes and tells us what we should do. And now we're going to do it. That's not what it means. What it means is that he comes and manifests his life right in front of you. And when he manifests his life in front of you, you see that life conquers the death that was in you. And you see the father is the shepherd and bishop of my life. Right. I lack nothing. And now your heart is filled with the abundance of a life that can't die. And what happens is that causes you to see life a completely different way. And you start living life by the power of an indestructible life instead of living life by the weakness of the death that's in the world. Right. You'll do different things. Right. You'll do different things if you're considering the death you see than if you're considering the life of God. You'll find yourself doing different things. If Jesus was considering the deadness that he saw in the world and the death that would come upon him at the cross, if that's what his eye was fixated on, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. You could say Jesus' steps were ordered of the Father. And what does that mean? Well, Hebrews comes and tells us that Jesus saw the glory that was set before him, the life that was set before him. And so, yeah, he saw there would be a death, but he looked at the death of the cross in light of a life that overcomes death in the flesh. And that ordered his steps. It strengthened him with the boldness to even stand in the face of death and to take it all on the chin, right? Why? Because in me is a life that swallows death. Do you see? Now God is trying to give birth to that same thing in us so that our steps are ordered by an incorruptible life. And we begin thinking with the mind of Christ because we have it. The mind of Christ is a mind that reasons from the life that manifested in the body of Jesus' resurrection. That's where it reasons from, about God and itself. All its thoughts and conclusions about God and what is in his heart towards all people is built upon the fact that the Father of lights drew near to Jesus And manifested his life in the man Jesus when Jesus was found in the place of having all curse and all sin and all death in him. And so when you look at a human being, even should you see them in the degradation of sin, the mind of Christ, do you know what it how it reasons about that person that it sees in the degradation of sin? It reasons about that person based on the fact that God came and manifested his life in Jesus. And you know what it says to you? God loves this person. God cherishes this person. God is with this person to father their life, right? And you start feeling love in your heart for them. You start feeling compassion in your heart for them because you have the mind of Christ and your reasoning about that person from the life that manifested in Jesus instead of the death you see in them, right? The carnal mind, the reason why the carnal mind condemns sinners is because the carnal mind reasons about people from the deadness it sees in people. And so it judges people by the death it sees in them and the fruit of death it sees in them. And then it judges how God will be with the sinner based on the death it sees instead of the life it sees in Jesus. That's why you see the Pharisees condemning the woman caught in the act of adultery. Because they were judging her and judging how God felt about her by the death they saw in her. But Jesus came and he didn't judge her by the death he saw in her. He Judged her by the love that was in God's heart for her. He had the mind of Christ. He had a mind that was born from the incorruptible seed of God. See how he saw different? His steps. The Pharisees, their steps were ordered of death. And that's why they condemned the woman. Jesus' steps were ordered of the Lord. And that's why he justified the woman in the face of the accusation. Glory to God. Does that make any sense? So the, the mind of Christ is a mind that isn't fixed on the death it sees in the world. It's not considering the death it sees in the world or the death it sees in itself It's a mind that's considering the life of God, the life that manifested in the body of Jesus' resurrection. That's what the mind of Christ is. So whereas the carnal mind reasons from the deadness it sees, and because of the deadness it sees, it concludes or judges that God has abandoned mankind in their affliction. The mind of Christ reasons from the life that manifested in Jesus and judges that God is there and not only is God there he's preparing a table for you to be fed with life he ain't asking you to prepare the table he's preparing the table and you see the same thing in Jesus on the cross if we look at Jesus on the cross he didn't consider the deadness he saw in himself He considered the goodness in the father's heart towards him in the life that he shared with the father from the beginning. He didn't judge whether he was the son of God or not by the death he saw in him and he didn't judge whether God was his father and whether God was with him by the death he saw in himself he never saw that the father judged him based on the body of death that was came upon him he didn't look at it that way it is because Jesus didn't have the carnal mind on the cross he had the mind that was born from the spirit of life he didn't build his understanding about himself or the father's thoughts towards him by the sin and the death he saw in himself on the cross that's not the place he reasoned from And you could say it this way He didn't discern himself or the Father through the sin and death he saw on the cross. But rather, what he did was he discerned the sin and death he saw on the cross by the Father's love for him in the spirit of life that they share. That's how he discerned it. See, the mind of Christ discerns death through the word of an incorruptible life. The carnal mind discerns life through the death (laughs) that it sees. It's a contradiction to one another. It's it's backwards, and yeah, it, it, yes, thank you. See, I need it. I know we have this catchy phrase in the world: "It takes a tribe." I don't like the way what they mean when they say that, but yeah, if we had all of us mic'd up, we would get out a great word because yes, that's why the carnal mind is enmity against the mind of God, the mind of Christ. And so Jesus saw the Father was with Him in the midst of the death. That's why he cried out to him. That's why he cried out to the father. It says the shepherd and bishop of his soul. Hebrew says he looked to the one who could save him from death. Well, you don't look to someone that you don't think is there. Adam didn't look to the father in Genesis because he was in the darkness of death. He couldn't see that the father was there, so he didn't cry out to the father, but Jesus didn't have the carnal mind. He didn't consider the deadness he saw. He considered the promise of life that the father made to him when the father said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I will not suffer you to see corruption, neither will I leave your life in the grave. Jesus judged himself in God by that word. It's the same word God said to Adam when he got down on one knee in Genesis and blessed Adam, where it says he blessed Adam. That was God promising Adam life. I'm going to share with you my incorruptible life. So, guys, the the, the re, one of the, the God tried to reason with human beings, but we couldn't see it. Right? We couldn't see what He was saying. We were in blindness. Right? And, and there wasn't a way for us to get a hold of it. You know? You ever notice how it's easier for you to see something when you see it from the outside looking in? You ever have a friend of yours that's dwelling in darkness and they're doing something stupid and you see it clearly, but they don't see it at all. And you you have eyes to see perfectly the whole dynamic, but they can't see the problem because they're in the middle of it. They're like blind to it. Well, that's how God found us where he's trying to reason with us about the problem. But man, we can't see it. And so what he does is, is the only way they could see it, the only way we're going to be able to shine a light into the midst of their darkness and pop open their eyes as if we could demonstrate our heart for them through a human being. We're going to need a human being to come and take the fullness of their sin and their death. And in that place, we're going to need to show up and be good to that human being. And us doing that, that will open their eyes to the goodness in our heart towards them. And they'll start seeing that we're with them to only ever be good to them. And they'll find their hearts calling out to us. That's how he heals our blindness. The blindness is that you don't see God will only ever be good to you. You think God's judging you based on your sin and the fruit you've produced. So you're blind. You're judging God's heart by your sin. Man, you'll never know God if you're judging God's heart by the sin and the death you see in the world. You'll never know God. And God's like, I've been telling them, I've been telling them, I've been telling them. I mean, they didn't do anything right. They didn't follow any laws. And there I am pouring out manna from heaven, manna from heaven, manna from heaven. And they, I poured water from the rock. They didn't obey any laws when I poured forth water from the rock. They didn't live right. In fact, when I came and took Israel out of Egypt, listen, the Hebrews weren't even a people. They were naked and dead in sin. Go watch the, the, the what's the, uh, the Charlton Heston movie? The Ten Commandments, but yes, that's also one. No, that is also one. I was thinking of those too. If if you go and watch that movie, you could see a picture of where the Hebrew people were when God came and took them by the hand. Listen, man, they were polluted in their own blood. They were not looking clean and righteous and full of life. And so God's like, I did everything I could to demonstrate to these people what's in my heart, and they don't see it. The only way that we could do it is if we could come into the earth as a human being and demonstrate the love in our heart for humans, even when they're dead in sin. And the son says, I will take on myself a perishable body. I will enter into the earth and I will take the fullness of their sin and their death upon me. I will even be so cursed, I'll become the curse on the cross. I'll be the most cursed human that ever lived, and I'll be nailed to a tree. And all the humans in the earth that are dwelling in the valley shadowed by death, they'll all conclude that I'm the smitten and stricken of God. They'll all conclude that you're not with me, Father. They'll all conclude that you've abhorred me in my affliction. And then you'll come and you'll raise me up out of the grave and will shine a great light in the midst of their darkness, and their eyes will be restored their sight will be restored the recovery of sight will come upon them and they'll be able to see you again Lord for the love that's in your heart for them hallelujah in John chapter 9 verse 39 Jesus says for judgment I am come into this world I talk about this all the time the dictionary in our hearts you guys already decided what the word judgment means you already have a picture there's not even any room for me in coming to explain it to you. You've already read a meaning into there. That word judgment there is not condemnation. When Jesus says, For judgment I've come into the earth, what he's saying is, To come and reveal the truth, I am come into the earth. To issue a decree once and for all about who you are, Father, I've entered into the earth. He goes on to say, So that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. So he comes in the likeness of the Old Testament judges. And the Old Testament judges, what they did was they issued a decree. And do you know the decree they issued? Go and read all the Old Testament judges. The issue they decreed is that God's heart is filled with goodness towards you. He is with you to serve you with life. Don't trust in your own works for life because those works will kill you. God has life in himself to give you. And the gods you're worshiping, they only have death in themselves to give you. That was the edict. And so Jesus comes to manifest the love of the Father in the earth so that those who don't see could see what the love of the Father and that those who thought they knew God could see they were blind and didn't know God at all. And so the sight Jesus is talking about there is not natural sight. He's talking about the eye of our understanding. And if you go back right before Jesus says that in John chapter 8, the Pharisees just said, God condemns, the woman caught in the act of adultery. They thought they could see. They thought they knew God. They thought they knew the heart of God. And they declared that God commands that this woman be stoned to death. God condemns this woman to death. And so the death in the world painted a picture of God. The death in the world painted a picture of a God who accuses and condemns sinners. And so we all thought we could see God. But we were blind because of the carnal mind. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It can't see God. It's blind to the goodness in God's heart. And so the life that manifested in Jesus, when God raised him out of the grave, it revealed our blindness and gave us eyes to see the truth about God. For judgment, he entered the earth. You could say it this way. Jesus entered the earth to restore your sight so you could see that God is filled with only goodness towards you, even should you make your bed in the degradation of sin. That will cause praise and thanksgiving to come out of your heart towards God. That's what all the church people say people should have, right? Praise and thanksgiving towards God. Well, maybe preach the truth about God and you'll find people praising him. Listen, a God that has to demand people praise him can't be God. The very fact that he's called God means that he produces praise in people. And the way he produces it is by revealing the truth about himself. And so if you want people to praise God, stop telling people they should praise God. Stop chastising people that you think aren't praising God. Maybe pull the beam out of your own eye and recognize that maybe the reason why they're at the place they're at is because you ain't been preaching God. I mean, there's a verse that talks about judgment must first come to the church in the body of Christ. And it's not talking about condemnation, man. But I tell you what, the judgment that God revealed in Jesus needs to first come to the church. Because the church is not in the earth declaring Abba. We're declaring a non-God. And that's the problem for people. I say that because I love the church. So we see the life that manifested in Jesus. You see the woman caught in the act of adultery, do you see how her sight was restored? Do you see how she was blind to the goodness of God? That's why she was in adultery. Do you know what adultery meant in the Old Testament? It was talking about committing adultery on God. It wasn't talking about you physically laying with the man. It was talking about you fornicating with your own works, trying to produce the life of God. The only reason you fornicate with your own works is because you don't see God is there with you to only be good to you. And so you start trusting in your own works. Well, so the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus restored her sight. She was blind, not knowing God was with her to to care for her life. And then Jesus is God there with her, caring for her life. (laughs) Mm. So we see that life, just like the woman caught in the act of adultery. We see the life that manifested in Jesus and our sight is restored. And now we have the mind of Christ. Our imagination is no longer captivated by the deadness we see in the world or the fruit of death we might see in our life. Our imagination is captivated with the life that overcame death in the body of Jesus. That's what our imagination is captivated with now. When we see the deadness that's in the world or the deadness we might see in our bodies from time to time, We don't see God not there with us, but when we see the deadness, man, we see God with us, condemning that death by the power of his indestructible life. Guys, when I look out into the world, I see the same deadness everybody else sees. I do. I see the same corruption everybody else sees. I see it. But do you know what else I see? I see the life of God is with me, even in me. And I see God is in me, and I'm in God. And I see the life that I have in him, it even condemns death. And so I don't judge the world or myself by the death I see, but I judge it by the life I have from God that overcomes death. And that's how I'm, a tree, of, that's how I'm like a tree of righteousness, planted by the rivers of water that is unceasing in its fruitfulness even when this world is scorched by the heat of sin and death. Nothing can keep me from bearing peace and love and joy because I'm not fixated on the deadness. I'm fixated on a life that brings back life out of deadness. Someone could come and tell you there's going to be a great famine in the land. The whole country, it's going to be destroyed. All that is good is going away. I'm a tree planted by the rivers of water who's unceasing in its fruitfulness because my mind is not filled with the corruption. It's filled with the life that overcomes corruption. You see? And we're... We have the mind of Christ. What that means is we're in the likeness of what Paul said about Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, where it says that Abraham didn't consider the deadness he saw in his body or in Sarah's womb. He considered the glory of God. His mind was filled with the life that can even raise the dead. Hebrews would come and say that Abraham said, even should Isaac die, God can raise the dead. What was Abraham's mind filled with, life or death? Abraham was over 100 years old when he conceived Isaac. It says that his seed had dried up. Guys, do we all know what that means? (laughs) That means my man cannot produce no baby. (laughs) And neither could Sarah. Abraham didn't consider the deadness he saw in himself, but he considered the life that overcomes death in the flesh. We have the mind of Christ. We don't consider the deadness we see in the world or in our bodies. We consider the life that overcame death in the flesh in the man Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. The place we reason from is a life that overcomes death, not a life that's subject to death. We're like David, man, a people after God's own heart. Do you know what it means to be a people after God's own heart? We've seen into the depths of God's heart and we've seen that his heart is filled with tenderness towards us. And what happens is the words of the psalmist are born in our hearts. And we don't just find that we're reading verses, but we find we're having an experiential knowing of what those verses mean. We have the mind of Christ. Do you know what the mind of Christ sounds like? Yea, though I walk through a valley that's shadowed by death. Fear has been far removed from me. I can see clearly now the death is gone. My sight has been restored. The father is the shepherd and bishop of my life. I lack no good thing. I see the grace that's in his hand will exalt me above the death in this world and that has brought stillness to my heart. I see that God prepares a table for me filled with the bread of his life and that quiets the storms of this world. I see God with me taking vengeance on the death that's in the world. I fear no evil. I have the mind of Christ. These verses aren't just things we regurgitate, guys. These are things that God produces in people by showing them his life. And so for 2,000 years now, the church has been talking about our bad behavior and our sin and how we don't do enough and we don't love God enough and we don't love people enough. And God's been trying to tell us, you're considering the deadness you see. What about my life? You keep talking about the death you see. What about a life that overcomes death? Why don't you start talking about the life that manifested in the Son of Man, Jesus, that conquers death in the flesh? Maybe you'll find life born. The Lord is the shepherd and bishop of my soul. He's with me, taking vengeance on the death I see in the world. That comforts me in the midst of my affliction. It quiets my flesh. It quenches the storm. As Paul would come and say in Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Paul's describing how the mind of Christ works when he says that. Paul actually is expressing what the carnal mind does to somebody at the end of Romans 7 and into Romans 8, and he's explaining what the mind of Christ does in somebody. And he talks about how he was cleansed from the carnal mind and how he began living by the mind of Christ, or rather God brought forth the mind of Christ in him when God showed him what God did in Jesus to conquer death in the flesh. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, death can no longer uh, confuse me or blind me to the Father's love whether I'm shipwrecked, whether famine, whether sword, whether peril, whether I'm stoned and left for the dead, whether I don't eat for three weeks, nothing can ever convince me that the Father doesn't love me. Nothing can blind me to the Father's love. How can the death in the world work condemnation in me? How can those things condemn me any longer and tell me God isn't with me and that he's left me as a lamb to be led away for a slaughter? How can any of those things tell me that the Father isn't the shepherd and bishop of my life? Because I see Jesus, jesus and i see the father conquer death in his flesh and that gives me eyes to see god with me even when i'm floating in the ocean not knowing when i'll hit dry land and i'll see the father has braided himself together with me and my mind will be filled with the life that i have in him and that he's in me and i'm in him hallelujah i promise you if your mind becomes filled with what it means that the father's in you and you're in him you'll sing a hallelujah I sing a hallelujah. We sing all these songs that are the fruit of knowing the truth, not knowing the truth. (laughs) But we feel something when we see those songs, right? We sing those songs because we say something's right about these songs. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, How can the deadness, this is what Paul's talking about. He has the mind of Christ. How can the deadness continue to tell me God isn't with me? i see jesus and i see god with me serving me with his life that's what i see now because jesus opened my eyes he restored my sight so guys and we'll finish with this thank you for your time death isn't a figment of our imagination it's very real and it needed to be overcome in our bodies even should the whole world start loving people, that can't overcome death. It's not a Gnostic gospel we're believing in. And this this part isn't for everyone. It's not a Gnostic gospel we're believing in where we say the only problem was in our heads. Yes, what we believed was a problem. But what we believed came from a death that is very real, and had to be physically conquered in our bodies. And the only way that what we believed could be healed is if we could see the life of God conquer death in the flesh. To remove one or the other one of those aspects of the gospel is gross error. If you come and remove the effect that death had on the human heart and how it made them blind to the love of the Father, you remove that and you say it's only about death being overcome in the body you're missing the gospel and if you remove the fact that death had to be overcome in our bodies and you make the gospel about some spiritual death it's Gnosticism and you're missing the gospel and so the only way we could be set free from the death and the condemnation that comes from the carnal mind is if we could see the death that the carnal mind reasons from overcome in the flesh of Jesus by God's life that's the only way the carnal mind can be destroyed you can't set yourself free from the carnal mind you can't say oh i won't think like that anymore if you're listening to me and you think that's what you're going to do no 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 what you want to take away from this is that the life of god that manifested in jesus when he was raised from the dead that will cleanse me from the carnal mind and so i want to start talking with god about that and i want to start understanding that and you could start off by just saying this lord i don't understand what it means that I have an incorruptible life. I don't understand what it means that my life isn't from this world, right? And God will engage with you in your heart through the Holy Spirit. That's why he got the Holy Spirit inside of you. So that Holy Spirit could guide you into the truth that we're talking about now. God hasn't left you to try to stop thinking with the carnal mind. What God's done is he's given us a message to preach about his life and his life will circumcise your heart from the carnal mind. And you'll no longer see the world through a mind that's filled with death you'll see the world through a mind that's filled with an incorruptible life right that's how it will happen glory to god thank you father that uh you didn't just do a work to conquer death and you didn't just give us a message to preach and and leave us to to sort it out intellectually i thank you father for the ministry of your holy spirit and that uh you poured your holy spirit out to dwell in us so that uh, your Holy Spirit could connect with the words that are preached and can minister the truth to our hearts and that can guide us into the place where we see uh, your life um, instead of the deadness we see in the world. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is uh, completing the work that you set about to do in us um, when you uh, sent Jesus and when you raised him from the dead and that your Holy Spirit is the seal of the deal. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for sitting here for so long. You guys are awesome. Go and take those two messages and listen to them together. Write down questions and thoughts if you have any. And come back. Beautiful things come forth from questions. Iron sharpening iron. Wrestling. Glory to God.